Jesse, can we skip to next week where there are like several options I can think of immediately for a song? <laughs> uh, the Boogeyman is out next week, and I can just do the was it? Who sings that? Is it Casey and the Sunshine Band? Uh, we got we could do Jungle Boogie. We could do <laughs> I'm Your Boogeyman. We could do those are two. That's two Insid- right there. The Insidious <laughs> movies are, are a, a tough road to hoe in terms of songs because they're not called different things they all start yeah. with insidious <laughs> i was gonna joke and just do unsi- uh, insidious and sneak in part two somewhere <laughs> like we already did that that was inspired uh yeah i got nothing else we're here to talk about insidious chapter two on the new flesh podcast a podcast about horror movies and all things tangentially related to horror and the horror lifestyle this week as promised uh, to the Patrick Wilson heads out there. I've, I heard from you. <laughs> I heard from the Wilson Hive. They were not happy about the week off, but they are reasonable people and they are uh, getting what they what they asked for this week. It's Insidious Chapter 2, which I hadn't seen since opening weekend uh, when I... Did I have a car at that point in college? I think I did. I think I rolled out in my dad's old Grand Marquis uh, opening night. Low ride, low ride the whip over to the movie theater <laughs> in in Savoy, Illinois, which is a town over from where my college was in Champaign, Urbana. It had to be Savoy, or it was the other town over. That name I cannot remember at this point. So it was probably the Savoy Theater, and I saw that in college, and I remember going, that didn't work for me in the same way that I thought the first one did work for me. Definitely walked away from Insidious Chapter Two thinking it was a not a good movie. And I never saw it again until this week, uh, which is surprising considering how much I love Insidious Chapter 3. And I'm surprised that when that came out, I didn't do the cursory new flesh homework of <laughs> watching the previous ones. So it's interesting. Uh, I'm glad we got around to it. I know you rewatched it as well. And in addition to the franchise deep dive that we're doing ahead of Insidious, the Red Door out in July, I believe. Uh, we also do have a new release we're covering this week that um, arguably, I don't remember how we covered Becky. I think it was also part of a multi an episode where we talked I, I about multiple so things. Too. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. There was, you know, back in the, in those days, there'd be a week where we covered three or four new releases this week. We're covering Becky two. It's not called that. I keep calling it that, but it's called <laughs> the wrath of Becky. And I like that. It's called that without any like Becky two colon. Because I feel like random people are going to watch this and have no idea that they're like a Becky also exists. And then they get to find that little prequel, uh, Becky, which is a, a fun movie. But I think we both agree The Wrath of Becky is funner, more fun. Funner is um, not a word. Do yeah. we agree on that? Uh, I am not sure. I'm, I'm been, I've been letting it marinate. We'll, so we'll have to talk about it. 
Interesting, interesting. So we're talking about uh, The Wrath of Becky for a little bit. We'll be talking about Insidious Chapter 2 for the most bit. And I wanted to say, Jesse hasn't got to it yet, but I reviewed it on the Roger and Me podcast last Friday with Mark Dusick. I probably talked about it uh, after Brooklyn Horror Fest uh, in October of last year. There's one movie I really liked at Brooklyn Horror Fest uh, that like fits the bill of what the festival is. There's another one I really liked, but I would not. I would argue it's not really a horror movie. But the one that is horror is out now on Shutter, and I genuinely love it. I watched it a second time. Thought it held up great. It is a thriller that is twisty and it constantly shifting perspectives and the story is full of surprises it's a movie called influencer it is a you know social media send-up commentary horror movie like if ingrid goes west was a horror movie or something but it is more like talented mr ripley for the influencer generation about how the internet is a facade on both sides of the interaction we're all faking things for likes and the people that are liking those things also don't care about us it is uh a, a movie that speaks to me as someone hopelessly addicted to the internet and twitter and my pocket friends the people in my pocket um <laughs> It's a great movie. Really terrific lead performance in that movie from Cassandra Nod. Uh, really clever setup. There's a 27-minute in credit reveal that is delightful. Um, I don't want to ruin anything else. It is not afraid to get super mean and nasty. Very fun ending. Definitely watch Influencer on Shudder. This is not a promo post. I just really love <laughs> I really love the movie. And uh, Jesse and I will talk about it. you convinced me. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Uh, I just haven't had the time to watch it. And I will watch it. I feel convinced it's I love Ingrid Goes West, so I hope I'm, I'm something that's like that with what a horror movie. I think you'll me. also be impressed by like the caliber of performance at the center of this movie. It is definitely Excellent. like uh, above the bar of a Shutter original, probably my favorite Shutter original that I can think of. Um, that's that's right. That's Influencer. Check it out on Shutter now. Maybe Jesse and I will tackle that on the Patreon. I'm not sure what we're doing this week, but we will be doing one. And what did we do last week? Uh, the Little Mermaid. Jesse and I. <laughs> talked about the little mermaid for probably way too long like 45 minutes an hour something like yeah that. something like that yeah uh it was a good discussion we have both seen it we have things to say that are good about it surprisingly but mostly bad but there's some good in there um anything else what's going on in jesse's world you just returned from uh an undisclosed location we're not gonna <laughs> dox you <laughs> um i was just in connecticut i'll, I'll oh, myself halfway oh my gosh yeah it's a small state so but I'm not there. They're anymore, gonna find so. you. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna trace my path back from Connecticut um, for my wife's college reunion. So there was not a lot of movie watching going on, sadly, during the weekend. Uh, but I'm hoping it's to get funny. back to that. I find myself watching way more movies during the week than I do the weekend. The weekends are like like respite time away from movies. But then I end up watching movies that I want to watch instead of movies that I feel like I now have to watch because I give myself. Eternal homework, Jesse. <laughs> the Roger and Me podcast, where yeah, I review every movie every Friday. Check it out. Yeah, it's. I agree. Like, and both in kind of good ways and bad because I do. And it helps me look forward to the actual week. Like this week, I'm going to watch. Although I've heard maybe I shouldn't look forward that much to. I'm going to watch Boogeyman on Wednesday. Oh yeah, it sucks. Good luck. Enjoy. <laughs> I'm going to watch Asteroid City on Thursday. Me too. Are you going to the early morning one? Yes, I am. Yes, I will see you there. Uh, yeah, I'll see you there with your arms folded. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm ready to. I'm ready to love. I'm embraced. <laughs> I actually have on my to do list this week, which is, fits in with this, is rewatch Grand Buddha, rewatch Moonrise through the uh, all the mo- the, the newer ones. ones. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. They were all on iTunes sales, so the ones I didn't own, I now do. 
Um, and you know, I once loved the man. I haven't since. What's the What's the normal answer? I fantastic Mr. Fox is my answer. Uh, the, the normal answer, I don't know, because I thought Moonrise. Were, I thought everyone loved Grand Budapest. So Grand I Budapest thought, is the one that people go. It's his best movie. And then I think since then, it's been what? Isle of Dogs and French Dispatch. Is that it? Yeah, those are the two since then. Yeah. And people were mixed on dogs. And I would say they were also mixed on Dispatch. Yes. Um, I, I It's hard for me to tell because I'm I'm a huge fan of his. So I, it doesn't really. You wore can... your big Wes Anderson foam finger to the yeah. screen. <laughs> I can definitely. Perfectly although... symmetrical. I do think. <laughs> um, just like the AI says. Yeah, I did see. Um. I, I like Isle Dogs a lot, but I do think it's one of his weaker ones. So I get the kind of mixed reaction to that, certainly. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, so you see all these movies during the week. And then that often does mean like the weekend is for like, I have to, you know, if so I'm doing stuff with my family or if I have a trip planned or go to a concert or something. So like, it's just, it is this weird flip of what my life used to be waiting for Friday. Yep. Now go to the movies on Friday and then maybe two movies on Saturday or even not every week. But we you know, have to note our screener and screening privilege here. Yes, we are for sorry. Sure. This probably sounds horrible to everybody yes. else. We are just gloating about our awesome lives. <laughs> well, it's, it's how cool we see movies ways. two to three days early. It's, 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 uh, yeah. I'm getting to see Boogeyman on Wednesday. Well, that one's just an early access. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone can, can do that. It. AMC, you can join, check out. Me, you all this is a our, second um, plug. Uh, yes. Jesse, Jesse will be at the Boogeyman on <laughs> yeah. Wednesday at the AMC. I'm just gonna guess Kips Bay location. Check it out. <laughs> uh, just a second doxing. Um, no, I mean, I, in some ways, you know, it's it's fun, obviously, especially if you have other obligations. It's fun to be able to get these movies oh, in. We're also seeing Spider Man on Tuesday. I'm not seeing Spider Man Tuesday, <gasps> actually. I'm gonna go see it on Friday, like a regular person. See, um, Jesse is uh, relatable. <laughs> I'm, and I'm so relatable. He's really going for you guys. I'm just really, he's leaving me out to dry here. <laughs> uh, but that, I, I do kind of miss that, you know, like that I used to go to the, like really anticipate the weekends and going to the movies on the weekends. And now it's just not always the main thing. But this, this coming weekend, I am gonna see Spider Man with some friends and family. And I'm going to see, this is a screening, but I'm going to go see Transformers on Sunday as I said, you are too. Yes. Um, so it'll be like a regular old, you know, weekend of, of one of my twenties when I would go see, just go see everything. I would just pay to see everything yeah. and, and, and have to work it into my weekend schedule because I couldn't, didn't have time during the yes. week. Yes. There's a week. Um, yeah. Coming up, Mandy and I are in Montauk. Oh god, they're just uh -huh. doxing us all over. <laughs> the people are putting the pins. Our in most the map. rabid fans are like putting pins in fucking maps right now and stringing <laughs> it up. Yeah. They're gonna find us. Um, there's a week where we're going away just just from like Monday night to Thursday, but that's probably gonna be the screening schedule for that week. Yeah. So I think I, yeah. I'm going to have to see the Flash. <laughs> on like friday morning or, uh -huh, or uh -huh. i think i'm working so either friday at three or like thursday night when i get home at like nine oh, or so <laughs> i'm gonna roll out like i'm some fucking flash head which is, <laughs> yeah. which is very embarrassing i'll wear my uh just my ezra miller uh costume not my <laughs> you mean flash like a, a disguise to elude the authorities yes <laughs> i will be wearing a, dis a very bad fake mustache <laughs> i will be taking a family hostage to the film <laughs> um, oh man but yeah, I'm actually looking forward to like I actually hope that I miss like if there's a couple other movies out that week, like the blackening and something else. Like if the screenings aren't early, I'm going to end up missing those, too. There's a possibility, Jesse, of a Friday two or three movie marathon at, the, at the movie theater, which and that's fun. Is when, something that's fun when that happens. Yeah, I used to. I mean, again, I used to live my life building <laughs> these things, like trying yeah. to make the all right. Well, if I want to see every new movies around on Friday. And it would be great if I could see every single one of them on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> so I could stack them as best as I possibly can. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm excited for that. Actually, you're right. Um, but yeah, mostly weekends. Not 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 when the movies get watched over no, here. No, I was looking at my letterbox, and my biggest movie watching day uh, this year, at least anyway, is Monday. You know, because it keeps track if you look at your stats, like which day. Uh, I'm gonna have to bring that up with Garfield. He's yeah. not gonna be happy about that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm just trying to undo the 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 you know i'm just i sympathize with garfield and i'm just trying to do my part to make it less bad but of course garfield doesn't want to change anything does he he just no. wants to complain. he just wants to complain about it and yeah. and yeah one of the weekend days I'll, i'm gonna look it up now one of the weekend days is actually my lowest like it's like sunday i want to say is one of my lowest days for for watching movies this year um and it's because of this you know the weird movie critic lifestyle um yeah monday and Thursday are the are the dates are the movie the days where I watch the most movies. The dates where I watch the least are uh, in this order: Sunday, Friday, and Saturday. <laughs> we're just we're just quirky like that. Yeah, we're just I. we're just a lovable and such. We're like a <laughs> manic pixie dream boys, I guess you would call us. <laughs> That's us for sure. Yeah. Um, I just realized you're not recording this, are you? I am either, not. I'm either not. Either yeah. <laughs> uh, that's I fine. We can just let it ride, but I'll okay. keep this in here. If, if this sounds worse than usual, that's it's why. because we're relying on the host of our record stream instead of our private um, uh, recording. And there's no tracks to change on this one. So it's yes. all one track. If it sounds bad, that I'm sorry, but yeah. uh, it should be fine. <laughs> we have both of our proper mics on and all that. All right, let's get into the news of the week before we jump into the wrath of Becky and before we also get into Insidious Chapter 2, which I haven't let loose if my opinion on yet. Do, did I like it after not watching it for what, a decade? 10 years, 10 years. Yeah, 10 yeah. fucking years. That's mind-blowing. Um, there are some things I definitely enjoyed about it, like the fact that they, just, they throw Lin Shay's voice in a younger character, which is, <laughs> which is really fun. Virtuosic, yeah. Yeah, one of many funny things that this movie does. Um, let's go, let's stop in the Cannes corner, the Cannes Film Festival corner. There's one bit of news left here. Um, there's a movie coming. It's a horror film. It's called All My Friends Are Dead. It's from slasher veteran Marcus Dunstan, who... That name, he did The Collector, I believe. All three of those, or two of those. I think there's two. And the third is happening, or I forgot about what happened with that one. But he did a movie uh, that I actually liked as part of the Into the Dark series, one of the few that I liked, called Pilgrim, which I think you were okay on. Do you remember that? I actually didn't see that one. Oh, who am I? Who did I talk about Pilgrim with? (laughs) (laughs) Just flashback to me talking to nobody. Um, Yeah, Pilgrim I thought was cool. But anyway, he did. Oh, he's the feast guy. So they were on. Um, they must have been on Project Project Greenlight. Greenlight. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. Did, did he also have something to do with Saw or no? I, I was going to say he directed one of the sequels, but I am having a hard to uh, No, Here we go. He yeah, he wrote Saw four, five and six and seven. He's a writer on all of those. I'm, I feel like he only actually wrote a, some of those and maybe his name is still on, you know, the, uh-huh. the future ones. But yeah, he definitely wrote some saws. He's coming back with a new horror movie from Cinedime and a bunch of other people. It's shooting in Vancouver. It has an ensemble cast that features a bunch of people I never heard of. But the two top line people, one of them I haven't heard of, but she looks familiar. Jade Pettyjohn. Okay. She, she, you'd know her if you saw her. But the name is that, that's attached that made me pull this is Jojo Siwa. The children's uh, yes, performer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she is going to star in a horror movie. And the premise is about college kids 
at a big music festival where a weekend of partying quickly becomes a nightmare as the group is murdered one by one. When the friends realize each horrific death corresponds to one of the seven deadly sins, it's only a matter of time before everyone's number is up. Uh, have you seen this movie before, Jesse, about the seven deadly sins <laughs> and murders? Sounds a little familiar. Sounds a little familiar. Um, they reference Scream revitalizing the 90s slasher uh, in selling this movie. Uh, you know, I'm open to a slasher. I love that. It's uh, written by Josh Sims and Jessica Sarah Flom. Uh, I always smart a little. It's going to annoy. I'm, I'm going to be extra annoying today. I have a million notes in my phone, Jesse, over the years. Every time I think of a screenplay idea back in the day when I thought I would probably just, you know, have the, the tenacity to write one. Um, <laughs> every now and then you come across one. You're like, hey, that sounds just like mine. But like the reason it never got written is because I don't have anything beyond it was kids at a music festival could get, get killed. And uh -huh. it seems like the thing they tacked on was seven. <laughs> they added seven to that idea. So, like, you know, it just goes to show you guys. I'm, I'm here to inspire. If you're out there and you have a notes app screenplay and you think it's stupid, it's not. Go for it. Just mash someone, it up with something yeah, else. Someone might make it. Yeah, mash it up with another horror movie you like. And then you'll read yourself from the trades that, like, uh, who's a JoJo? Like, uh, the guy from Blue's Clues is in it or something. Yeah. <laughs> that, was my, that was my best comp. Um, let's keep the casting train rolling. Let's take a stop in the Kreger corner. We've got two Zach Kreger updates. Jack Quaid is set to star in Companion, the sci-fi thriller from Zach Kreger and Boulder Light and New Line. So that is, of course, Jack Quaid of The Boys. Horror fans will know him from where, Jesse? Scream 5. Yep, Scream. That's all you could. All you had to say. Scream. Yeah. But they know him from Scream. Twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty two. Yeah. Two. That's right. It was so recent. I forgot. Um, Drew Hancock wrote the original script and is making his directorial debut with the movie Companion, whose many plot points are being kept hush hush. I love that it says many. It has many <laughs> plot points. Just to be clear, it doesn't um, just run out after fifteen minutes. It keeps going. It's a full feature length amount of plot. Yes, unbelievable. Uh, the pedigree is notable because Kreger, who wrote and directed Barbarian, is producing alongside all the people who did produce Barbarian and horror Kingpin Roy Lee of Vertigo. That was one of the movies won by New Line in that horror auction at the time when Kreger was up. All the Kreger movies were up. So that is going to be a Quaid starring film. And now we have more information on Weapons, which is the one that he's actually writing and directing next. This is very exciting. We already knew Pedro Pascal was in it, which... You know, I don't begrudge the man anything. He's just in a lot of stuff. So it's yes. hard to get that excited about it. Um, this is exciting. I'm going to mispronounce it. But Jesse, the lady from the worst person in the world just got cast in this movie. Yes. Renat Rensvi. Renata Rensvi. Plot details for weapons are being kept holstered. But of course, it's described as the multi, multi and interrelated story horror epic, totally in the vein of Magnolia, which is the, the best description of any movie ever. Moving full speed ahead toward a theatrical release. Production is anticipated to commence later this year. So see what the writer's strike has to say about that one. But that's happening. We've got two Craigers. We're moving from the Craiger corner to the Fast and the Furious corner. I wanted to talk about this because we talk about the weird um, Dante hanging back, talking to corpses moment in the Fast X movie. And uh -huh. I just, the director talked about it somewhere. So I wanted to say, uh, Someone asked if there was pushback on that scene. And he said, Louis Leterrier, Leterrier said, no, they forced me to put it in. <laughs> I honestly <laughs> will tell you. 
They asked me to put it in, not force me. They asked me to put it in. I shot it as a joke. Not really a joke, but like, wouldn't this be great for a DVD extra? You always see Dante as a peacock, always showboating for the world. But how is he intimately? What's his everyday life? So I put it in and we start test screening it. And frankly, the studio was like, yeah, we have to leave that in. It's crazy, but let's do it. Uh, I thought that's weird. I would have been, I would have, I thought it was weird that the studio kept that in. And it's funny that they, they fought for it. So there you have that. That's one bit of, in the Fast and Furious corner. Uh, the other bit is that Vin Diesel says spinoffs are in the works, including a female led movie. And he also wants to do like a Toretto's thing. <laughs> I'm so, just, yeah, he's, he's just so sick of these other characters clogging up the works. <laughs> yeah. We've got to do a, We've got to focus on the Toretto's. Uh, Fast X is the first of a two-part ending, but it's bittersweet to think of a finale. He said, look how many characters and great talent there is in this movie. There's no way I can pull that off unless I had everyone on for five seconds. These characters are appealing and we need to see more of them. Uh, I want to talk about the box office. It dropped pretty fucking hard this week in America. It dropped 60, yeah, 66. That's pretty bad, but not catastrophic. It's, it's pretty normal for this series. The series it is. drops pretty fast. And it's week. internationally, it had the biggest opening of the year. And it's still internationally the number three of the year worldwide. It's like crushing. It has 507 globally and 400 of that is, is internationally. So Fast is doing fine, even though the American box office is... It, it, it still did better than, than X, uh, 9 did. And it's, uh, continue, it's continuing it is... to do better than 9. And Hobbs and Shaw did just below 8 and 7 in, 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 the in, certain world, in worldwide. Worldwide, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like should they? You think they're gonna go back to twelve being the end now after this uh, one doing a little uh, less than they want it probably? But even though again internationally doing great, doing fun. I kind of I kind of do think they'll just do one more, but I, I but who knows? Vin can't be stopped. Yeah, he way. can't. Yeah, he can't be reasoned with. <laughs> no, so that's interesting. Uh, not that much horror news this week. I'll read a few others that are like bubble worth talking about. There's a movie coming out called The Movers, a supernatural horror movie. It's notable because of the pedigree of actor. It's Jenna Malone, Christopher Lloyd, and Terrence Howard. Oh, wow. That's, that's Weird. an eclectic group. <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, it's an, uh, the mover centers around a close-knit family who moves into a seemingly charming neighborhood, only to discover it's not all it appears to be. As they face persistent threats, the family begins to question their reality and the world around them. Okay. Uh, Lionsgate had their earnings call this week, which went great because they had a John Wick movie come out. So they had a terrific quarter. And one of the things they boasted about my old, I was an intern at Lionsgate uh, over a decade ago now, or actually about a decade ago. And this man, I picked up his dry cleaning, Joe Drake. <laughs> he confirmed <laughs> on the call that a fifth John Wick is an early development. And along with that, the studio is looking to expand beyond the movies into the AAA video game space. Not a shitty video game, but a triple-A <laughs> good video game, as well as a regular cadence of spinoffs and TVs. What is official is that uh, Ballerina is the first spinoff that comes out next year, said Joe Drake. We're in development on three others, including John Wick 5 and including The Continental, which will be airing soon. And so we're building out the world. And when that five movie comes, uh, it will be organic. It'll be organically going out of how we start telling these stories. But you can rely on a regular cadence of John Wick is what he said inspiring words i'm excited about that uh, even though i have, i'm on record as four had a beautiful ending for the character i thought it was great um but it also we also are on record as saying you can cheat that so easily 
but now I'm on. Re- I want to get on record is it with a new thing. <laughs> uh, I guess spoiler alert. I already kind of just spoiled it. Um, I would love to see them call up Nick Cave, who famously wrote a sequel that never got made to Gladiator, that was about um, Russell Crowe's character battling his way through hell to get out of there. <laughs> I want that now for John Wick. <laughs> John Wick 5 is just going to be that. It's called John Death Wick Eater. Right? John yeah. Wick Death Eater or whatever. Yes. And he yes. is battling his way out of hell to heaven because his wife is presumably there or something. I don't know. Yeah, yes, no, that makes sense. That works, right? a lot of people. Yeah, why wouldn't he? They, 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 you could retroactively say they teased that at the end of 4. I mean, so they, they always they are doing like, about him, him yeah, going to hell or heaven. Yeah. Yeah. There's always these like, you know, Greek mythology and all, all these other big ideas run through these movies. I think it is actually a perfect fit. And I need to get on the, get on the phone. Yeah. Use my old Lionsgate contacts. Know. Yeah. <laughs> See if I can get him on the horn and just let him know that's a good call. Um, that's a good way in. We love that. Uh, what else do I have here? There's an M. Night Shyamalan movie called or a produced movie called Caddo Lake. Formerly the Vanishings at Caddo Lake that is coming out. The plot revolves around an eight-year-old girl mysteriously vanishing uh, on Caddo Lake. A series of pet thefts and disappearances begin to link together, forever altering a broken family's history. I don't know anything about that movie, if it's going to be in theaters or on Apple or something, but we'll hear more. If you're in Chicago, I thought this was super fun. The Music Box Theater, one of my favorite theaters in the country, is doing uh, the House on Haunted Hill, the William Castle film, and they're doing like the gimmicks that they would have done Ooh. if it were playing in the 50s. So William Castle's throwing a party, you're invited. We're rigging up the theater the way Castle intended. See all your favorite gimmicks and gags at the Music Box Theater, June 7th and 8th at 7 and 9.30, respectively. William Castle, of course, pioneered the art of the in-theater gimmick with the films like The Tingler and 13 Ghosts and Homicidal all being released with uh, gimmicks that included ghost viewer glasses, insurance policies, and buzzing seats, and a bunch of shit like that. So that will be a lot of fun. Definitely uh, do that if you're in Chicago. I thought it was worth mentioning, Jesse, that the Last House on the Left remake from 2009 that I I always say famously, because that means if I say famously, I'm not being an asshole. It means I mentioned it on the show in the past eight years. In the past eight years, I have mentioned that that movie is my like upper tier of horror remake, where I think it's kind of good. That movie is getting an Arrow Blu-ray release, which is kind of surprising. But yeah, it's getting a brand new audio commentary. There's a ton of new special features. Uh, A 27-minute interview with actor Garrett Dillahunt. (laughs) A 31-minute interview with Sarah Paxton. So they really just let the camera roll on these. and (laughs) You can watch them all. Um, And yeah, theatrical version, unrated version, two discs, The Last House on the Left, 2009. Did you see that in theaters? I believe it. Is that the one with Jennifer Lawrence? Jennifer Lawrence. No, that's... um, What is that called? That is called The House at the End of the Street or something. Oh, yeah. Last Uh, House on the Left is a remake of a Wes Craven Craven movie. It starred Sarah Paxton. If I remember correctly, like Ricky Lindholm is in that or something? Yes, yes, she is. Um, It's on Tubi right now. I don't think I've ever seen it. I definitely haven't seen the original, and I think this is a remake I might have missed. I think it's worth watching maybe at some point i don't know when it would behoove us to maybe we just start doing remakes generally at some uh-huh. point just doing we do could the, do them yeah. do them back and forth yeah like the original and the new one oh, that's, that's a fun cool. one because the original is so low budget and grimy exploitationy and the other one is like you know a studio horror movie so like arguably it's an upgrade but i don't know if 
I don't know. I don't know if there's anyone who goes to the bat really hard for the original. I mean, I'm sure there are the original Craven one, but it's like, you know, it's a rape movie. It's like a rape revenge thing. It's not it's not pleasant. I'll say that. Um, I already mentioned the boogeyman's out next week. What else do I have here? Oh, the movie Searching, the or no, Missing, the sequel, the not quite sequel to Searching, the Screen Life movie that we covered on this podcast. It's now on Netflix and it's in the top 10. So uh, let's take a look at the top 10. This is my new favorite segment on the podcast. <laughs> Number one, Missing. Congratulations to Missing. Check out the new Flesh podcast on Missing. Sorry, I'm trying to write down the time so I can cut out all this vamping. So Missing is number one. Check out the New Flesh podcast. The Sun. The new movie, The Sun, Jesse, oh, is yeah, number with, two. With Hugh Jackman. Yes. Hugh Jackman, but the, the still for me is Laura Dern. They must know oh. my, my cat's name is Laura <laughs> Dern. Uh, their algorithm knows all. Uh, number three, you'll never guess. It's The Mother. So we got The Sun, we've got The Mother. What do you think number four is? Holy Spirit, I assume. Uh, close. The Leave boss room baby. For the Holy Spirit. The boss baby. It really is <laughs> the boss baby. No, oh, no wow. joke. No yeah. bit. It's the boss baby. <laughs> You'd think five would be like the father, but it's not. It is a man called Otto. But weirdly, six is dirty grandpa. So we skipped father wow. and went right to grandpa. You but know, dirty that's the problem. A... The fathers just get overlooked these days. <laughs> As a father of a daughter, yeah, as a father. <laughs> um, gir- uh, Dirty Grandpa never saw it. Twenty sixteen, De Niro, Efron. Good Tell me performance about from Albi Plaza in that film. Um, it's it reminded me of I, you know, it's I had this weird connection where like I didn't see the new one with De Niro about my father, but because it was opening the same time as The Machine, which is also a stand-up comedian trying to make a movie. And it was a similar like scene that the night before, not like it was not really screened for us, et cetera. Uh, I kind of associated it with Dirty Grandpa because that was one where I went to a screening, but it was like a screening that was like literally Thursday at 7 p.m. for a Friday opening. But it was at the old Magno screening room. And wow, it's not it's definitely not good. But I did kind of walk away from it going like, you know what? Like people go to bat for that movie. I know it's not. It's really they really shouldn't. But like. (laughs) But I understand why they do, because Plaza and to a lesser extent De Niro are really going for it. And they're both it's kind of fun to watch both of them. And Plaza sort of her character sort of like hooks up with De Niro's character. And I was like, that is a movie I would watch. I would watch the two of them in a movie in a kind of foul mouthed romantic comedy. Um, I know that's age gap discourse waiting to happen, but I just can only tell you what I saw in that movie. And what I saw was the two of them have chemistry. Uh, so i love that that's all that's that's the only reason to watch that movie this you really shouldn't but but it's you know uh, that 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 part of it made it less painful than it might have been well all your parents can catch up with the man called Otto, which they certainly missed in theaters but would enjoy on netflix that's number five dirty grandpa six mother's day a, a netflix film is seven what is this do you know what this is? Mother's Day? No, I don't a know. A kidnapped teenager, a network of gang. I don't know. Some crappy Netflix movie. Number eight is Ted. The 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 the, <laughs> the twenty twelve Teddy... Talking Bear movie. It's Boy. number eight on the top ten films. Then we've got Netflix original Blood and Gold, which is German, and then we've got Victim Suspect, which I've heard is actually kind of interesting. It's a, I think it's a Netflix acquisition. It is okay. a documentary about a woman who. I think reported sexual assault and then herself was arrested. It's about that. Okay. And it's called victim suspect. Um, but there you go. That's the Netflix top 10, which is my new favorite segment. Uh, why do I love talking about this, Jesse? Is it, it, it's, 
something about the fact that Netflix's algorithm, whatever it is, like the Netflix has the power to make any random movie from 20 or 10 years ago or whatever, even older. Just they have the power to be like, yeah, this uh, this James L. Brooks movie that everyone hated in 2013. How <laughs> do you know? Yeah. It's a hit. I love that. It's my favorite thing about Netflix. It's their only utility as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's go right into the wrath of Becky, which I don't think we ever talked too much about. But Jesse, walk me through your reaction to this movie and your reaction to the last one. Because I'm sure we, we talked about it then, but I don't remember. Yeah. Well, you know, who knows where we were in there? Because that one, the last one came out like height of pandemic, like stuff's not coming out. You know, you're watching movies at home. I remember, in fact, I'm very... June pleased. 2020 is when I looked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a little past the kind of peak, utter panic, but it was definitely the summer without movies. Um, what I was so delighted to see, because that movie played drive-ins, and it actually did pretty well at the drive-ins that yes. summer. I didn't. I wish I had seen it at a drive-in. Off the back not. of Kevin James starring in it, yeah, probably. Yes, they were just like, we got a new, <laughs> new Kevin James movie playing at the drive-in. Oh, my God. Um, Zookeeper the, 2? Close. All the families rolling out and yeah. then doing a U-turn. It's funny it. that it's. I've seen one movie in my life at a drive at a drive-in, and it was Harry Potter, Deathly Hollows, one of those, and the uh-huh. double feature was Zookeeper. <laughs> so that's really that's weird that this came pairing. up. <laughs> it's such a drive-in pairing. Uh, I'm so pleased. This, sorry, this is going a little bit of a tangent, but I'm so pleased Please. to notice because I I have a ch- I have a uh, uh, my hometown drive-in. It's not actually in my hometown, but it's like a you know ten minute drive out on the outskirts of town. Uh, and I still try to go there. I've been there a lot. I've been to the drive-in like tons of times. I used to go all the time as a teenager with my friends. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, I visited my mom a bunch of times, and my wife and I would go, and we brought our kid a couple times. But and one cool thing about the, the pandemic, uh, the was not. I mean, not that cool. But was one kind of you're taking you're taking your pleasure where you can at that point in, in that yes. point of the COVID nineteen pandemic was that because there weren't even any wide release movies coming out you know usually the drive-in just plays like the big summer movies you know sometimes you'll get a fun double feature and once in a while if, they, if it's running in a fallow week they might bring out um and you know an old title like jurassic park or something yeah. but most of the time they just play like the new movies because like that's what's going to get people out to the drive-in but during that pandemic summer there were you know like ifc was supplying like horror movies to the drive-ins and yeah the, that was the summer of the wretched the wretched yeah i can't wait for, i i know they're trying to avoid those weekends on box office game but i just can't wait for that to finally come up the one, <laughs> the one some weekend where the number one movie was the wretched making ten thousand dollars or something and becky was another one where they played it at drive-ins it had, it's got a great drive-in vibe i was i was even watching at home i was like yeah i can see why this would do well you actually drive-in. parked your car in your living room when yeah you watched it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right i just kept the engine running and my hometown drive-in which i check the schedule of even when i'm not going to be there is one one of the screens this this weekend yes uh, is little mermaid and guardians of the galaxy very normal drive-in pairing Do we have Sometimes a becky wrath of becky situation i i wish but they're doing fast x followed by wrath of becky that's which, awesome it's really cool i really i'm i'm just delighted that is that's the happening. definition of a b movie being put yeah. in the b movie slot you got it perfect. yeah and it's perfect for this because you know like guardians and little mermaid like that's a hefty night out. It's like, it, it, that's like a, that's six five hour hours evening. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Fast X is also pretty long, but then Wrath of Becky, Becky coming in at a lean 83 minutes. If you leave during the credits, you can be out of there around minute 79. Yeah. Uh, you won't even be home that late. Such a great thing to see. And I just love that. And I, I think that has given me kind of affection for the Becky movies in general. Yeah. I like I'm the, all in on, on this, the Becky yeah, verse. So this speak. is the franchise guys. It's Becky. Um, I liked the first one fairly well. I think I had heard kind of mediocre things about it. So when I finally caught up with it, 
I caught up with it actually to review for the NME because they was not coming. It was now out yet over there. And they were like, Hey, have you seen this? And I was like, no, but it, I can just like rent it. Like <laughs> it's available in this country. Uh, so I reviewed it for the UK release and I was like, Oh, this was actually pretty fun. Like it's not great by any means, but like pretty fun use of Kevin James, pretty solid, you know, gore and kills. It's a little belabored and like, yeah, you know, it's just like it, it, once you realize it's just home alone, yeah like level stuff but horror yeah. gore i'm like yeah this is fun it's a little yeah. it's slight but fun i mean yeah so i was excited for wrath of becky or you know exci- you know i was i was down for a sequel i'd like i kind of appreciate the fact that it, w- it came out during this very challenging time for movie going and somehow managed to spawn a sequel i think that's really neat so i maybe i don't know if it was that, that my, i wouldn't say my expectations were high but i would say whereas the first movie could only surprise me a little this one didn't have that sense of surprise and I really enjoyed it and think it's pretty well crafted and I would watch another one. And I liked the performance um, by the actress in it. Uh, Lulu, what's her name? Uh, Lulu something. Wilson. Lulu Wilson. Yeah. She's, I like her. I like her character. It's kind of fun to see her like, cause you know, she's aged significantly because she was yes. a kid in the last one. And now she's like a teenager. It's fun to see that kind of, especially in this kind of role where she's like a remorseless killing machine. It's kind of fun to see, how that works you know it's, it's as if home alone 2 was like five years even though it's been a smaller gap i don't i guess they shot home alone 2 much quicker this really feels like oh if there was a more significant gap between the home alone movies and suddenly it's like a you know 15 year old <laughs> and, and like do, doing the violence on the on the burglars and that sounds maybe horrible as, as i'm saying it but in this movie i was like oh that's kind of cool it's like it, it's automatically kind of different angle in the material because it's not the same person you know even if it's the same actress and they have sean william scott instead of kevin james as the kind of main bad guy and all of that works pretty well i would you know it's a thumbs up for me and all that uh trademark <laughs> if i without violating any trademarks but i would just say i kind of was expecting it to up the ante a little bit and this is very franchisey i feel like the movie saves its upping the ante for yes, next time they're like well, next time we're gonna up the ante and i was like well, it cool, seems like but i just watched yes. this one <laughs> it seems like it's building to a really fun crazy third act and then it's just it basically just kind of goes yeah, you'll come back for the next one for this, yeah. right? And yeah. that's, I actually, I mean, yes, I hear you on that front, and I'm not going to argue with you, but, like, I do, I did like the setup for the where it ends. I thought it was hilarious. I don't want to say what I want to say, because I think it's going to ruin it, but, like, it reminded me of, I'm like, are they, like, they're, like, this just became Agent Cody Banks. I just love that this one seems to lean into the silliness of the premise, Yes. In a way that uh, the first one was definitely silly and knew it was a comedy that like the gore was played for comedy. But this one really leans into that. And there's a lot of gore gags that are played for laughs that I think actually do work. Yeah. And another thing I appreciated about it is that while it leans into the silliness when it needs to, as far as like the being a movie where someone just kills a bunch of abhorrent Nazis, it goes pretty (laughs) hard in the like real world parallels to Nazi things. Like it is not just being like, these are cartoonish Nazis. It's, it's doing the like soft and quiet movie thing where it's like, there are Nazis everywhere in the world (laughs) and they act, some of them act like Nazis, but some of them are quiet Nazis and they're all bad. And yeah. And Becky's out to to rid the world (laughs) of these Nazis. And it becomes so fun. It's like what I wanted. And from Zisu, which I thought delivered none of that. Like, this is exactly what I wanted. Just like, it's killing Nazis, but it's also, I just appreciated like a movie that is it, like the reality of the Nazis in this movie are real. It, it, it depicts the Proud Boys and it depicts yes. 
Trump stuff, like Trump yeah. era uh, speech thing, things he said are in this movie, like stand up and stand by or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are like obvious actual parallels to society, which sounds so fucking stupid because I'm talking about the wrath of Becky. But those little <laughs> flourishes, just the fact that it was willing to go that far and be like, yeah, man, these Nazis are fucked up, right? And then you actually get the comeuppance. And it's, yeah, no, per- that, that, it's perfect that, fodder for that use of real yeah. life, like rip from the headlines SVU shit. I, I agree. It's the kind of thing that can be cringeworthy when it's done awkwardly. And here it really is done pretty honestly and doesn't really require a lot of cartoonish. Uh, I mean, the cartoonish stuff is more in the gore and stuff, but the actual characters are pretty believable. There's a part of me, I think there's two, there's like two ways I wish this movie had gone a little harder. One is that I really, I mean, this is, this is just purely like, you know, uh, fans backseat screenwriting, but I would love, and this is just like, you know, inspired really in a way by what the movie is already doing. Uh, I feel like they are kind of going there almost with one of the characters, but I literally would have loved if one of these characters was like, uh, one of those, one of these guys with like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to slam. I'm not going to, you know, commit libel or whatever. Uh, you know, say like a bearded chat show host uh, <laughs> with a strong internet falling, and maybe someone with sort of a nasal voice or like that type. You know, those types of guys, yeah. like those who have like followers and who are, who really get off on being like the reasonable intellectual types. You know, uh, I'm just yeah. going to destroy you with facts. I would love yeah. if like someone if they would bring in one happy of happy non-specific gender binary Mother's Day or whatever <laughs> yeah. they say every year. Exa- yeah. yeah, yeah, and because especially because now I mean there's no way the movie could really necessarily anticipate this whenever it was made six months a year or two years ago whatever that those people do incite genuine violence as we see with like this Target nonsense like a lot yes. of these people like really are essentially calling for acts of terrorism. And I would love to see a movie go that far. Cause like, I feel like these Nazis definitely, they did, you know, they include the, the, what you, what you, I would call the, um, the collared shirt Nazi, right? Like the button down yeah. shirt guy who like probably works at a regular office as one of the, one of the Nazis, which I very much appreciate. And it really makes sense. Yeah. That's but, the soft and quiet energy. I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. But they do have like, it's skewed. Which is also sh- on Netflix, by the way. Yeah. That's <laughs> insane. But there you have it. Yeah. It's not quite on the top 10 yet, I guess. Um, <laughs> that would be fucking insane. I would love they- that. They don't, what this one lacks, or this one has, I think, on too much supply, really, is, like, the shit kicker Nazi. Like, I think you you gotta have that. Like, there's a guy, there's a figure in here who's, like, the most shit kickery one, and I'm like, yeah, of course, you need this guy in the movie. Because you want to have, like, a variety of characters, and you want to have a variety of kills and stuff. But I feel like they lean a little too heavily on the shit kicker kind of thing, and yeah. I would like a little more, like, of the semi-respectable, or, like, quasi-respectable type uh sean williams got does a really good job riding that line where he's like ex-military and like fairly well-spoken and has this nice trim haircut but is also a sociopath um, yeah that's there's also stuff. a lot of implication real life again parallel to real life about like the veteran to nazi pipeline yes it's, yes it's i appreciate there. that they were just like yeah this is we're good we're going there we're not saying this something else warped him or whatever this is like this is just how it happened um and i also just like on a pure you know Gorehoundy, you know, horror fan level. I feel like there just should have been more of these guys. Yeah, you know? like shouldn't there have been like eight or ten of them instead of. I was six? thinking like budget constraints or something because <laughs> yeah, like when they yeah. do do the kills, they're pretty gross. Oh, they like, are. Yeah. Right. yeah, they're cool. And I, I was just like, I just feel like there, there were. This was missing a couple more intermediate kills before you get to the big stuff at the end. Uh, those are. I mean, this is. Would would I recommend seeing this at a drive-in? Hell yes. Would I re- recommend seeing it at AMC Stubbs if you like the first one? Hell yes. Uh, would I recommend it renting it at home if you were looking for a new release that doesn't involve leaving your house? Also, yes. So, like, yeah. 
recommendation for me. I just, I just feel like they could have gone a little harder and I do kind of feel like maybe they were holding something back for the third one. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't argue with any of that. Um, let's do some fan casting. So we've got Kevin James doing the <laughs> sitcom actor to oh, Nazi boy. role. We've got John William Scott going from Stifler iconic role to the yes. Nazi role. So next, I my obvious answer is, and I'm going back to sitcom, I'm going Ray Romano, <laughs> who's having... He, he really would be good, I bet. Yeah, he would be good. He would be good. But there's someone in my comments on Letterboxd said Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny, too. <laughs> he's like an actual... Isn't he an actual... He's not a Nazi, but he's like he's, <laughs> he's like a dipshit. So, like, you know, he's halfway there, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, this That's much better than my... The, I don't know. The, what immediately sprang to my mind... Chris Kattan. Said, yeah, that, God damn it. You, that is exactly what I thought. <laughs> You son of a bitch. Oh, I don't man. know why I felt it. I'm like, you Manga. Felt the Manga. Energy. You it's just Manga. Felt it. We had a little, yeah, we had a little mind meld there. That's exactly what I thought of. And literally for the first time, one minute ago, when you said this, that's what popped into my head. Because, you know, he's been gay Hitler on the weekend update. So now yeah. <laughs> he could just do, transition <laughs> just do that, that character. Yeah, that'd be very yeah, funny. I am a huge sucker for watching comedians try that kind of shit. I know it's such a cliche, and I think it really devalues comedy in a lot of ways. How much we don't get excited <laughs> to see comedians do more serious or fucked up or play a villain type of stuff but the beauty but of said, these are that like it. it's like comic even in its villainy like yes, that's yes. why i think these are good yeah no it's yeah. fine it's like kind of it's almost like a running gag and like i i enjoy that and like sean william scott actually like it's funny i would say he's very good in this uh he but he's less of a kind of twist than kevin james is because you look into sean william scott's eyes as stifler and he's yeah. got this in him like oh yeah he already has the mania in the eyes like it's not that much yeah, of a surprise. Stifler has always kind of scared me a little that confidence <laughs> he is, is scary he's, he is he's like a fright that's like kind of what i find funny about that character is that he's like this friend of theirs by sheer force of like uh un you know unimpeachable personality like he just cannot be denied or it stopped. also tracks that he's like the party house and his mom is like hot and let yeah, stuff happen yeah, like yeah. it is there is some truth to the stifler character yes. even oh, though oh, there's 100 uh, yeah. and yeah that intensity translates really well and he does and yeah. williams got tom williams got does a really nice job of not where's he been yeah i don't know what he, what he, he like you seem like you think that would he would be like in the kind of in the market for something like this way before it happened or that he was just maybe he was just on some Netflix sitcom we've never watched. But I don't. Think yeah, that's, that's likely the answer. But I, I got nothing. Yeah. Yeah. He's on some show called Welcome to Flatch. On oh, okay. Fox. Yeah, I didn't know he was on that. I've heard of that show and heard it's good, but uh, I didn't. The last you know. things before that are like movies from 2018 that I like. I vaguely remember Bloodline being a movie. He uh -huh. shows up in Super Troopers 2 for a second, but like, yeah, he's not really working at, at the speed at which he once was for sure. Yeah. Maybe wonder... he just has kids and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he's just not feeling it. Anyway, he's good in this, and he it does a good job of. He doesn't like ham it up, and Kevin James didn't either. But you would expect Sean William Scott to really lean into because you could see him playing a villain so easily. He's, he's so funny too. Sometimes, like I'm thinking of him in like old school, hilarious in that role. <laughs> he's yes. yeah, he's he's uh, I you know I enjoy him in Dude Where's My Car and Evolution and stuff. Oh yeah, uh, I feel like he he felt like he didn't have that many modes, but then like role models, I actually thought he was pretty fun in that too. I um, met him and John. C. Riley at an a ain't it cool news screen early screening of the promotion, a movie wow. that never oh. went to theaters. Yeah, no, it did went. I saw it in theaters. Well, I not in, it. in Chicago. Oh, mean, it didn't. I don't. Think. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, it, it was. It was. Yeah, you know what? I saw it like the top floor of the AMC Empire for the. There one you go. Classic, yeah. classic <laughs> rollout. That was a good movie too. That was I liked 2008, it. 2008 was like a real 
banner year for him. It had he had that and role models, and that was just oh, like the role best models ever was iconic, hilarious. Yeah, David Wayne's. I don't want to say it's my favorite David Wayne movie because it's not, but like it's cool that he made such a classic studio comedy. That's yeah, it's good. really it's it's just a yeah. good example of one of those things. Uh, yeah, so I guess there, you know, I would love to see Sean William Scott more in more movies, which is so weird. Like I wouldn't have thought when you know for much of the two thousands, I was like I'm really hankering. I was not like really hankering for more Sean William Scott, but. <laughs> my dog is screaming maybe i'll post the selfie i have with sean williams oh, from 2008 on the timeline i'm probably wearing my promotional t-shirt from another screening the <laughs> son of rambo remember that movie <laughs> yeah yeah also course, 2008 yeah. probably wow that was in my heyday of <laughs> going to promo screenings that ain't it cool news made me privy to privy you were to. one of the, the guys getting the passes <laughs> yes i was one passes. of the i was one of the i was one of capone's goons <laughs> as they would call them all right, let's jump to the main event, which is Insidious Chapter 2. Um, you rewatched it. I feel like you stayed. I feel like you reviewed this at the time. You yes. were like a two and a half on it. And I feel like yes. you watched it again the other night and you remained a two and a half on it. That is correct. I really was excited, hoping that I would just be like, well, I like this. You know, I have so much more in, in grain, you know, affection for this. I'm going to get you. To, I'm going to get on. you to three. By the end <laughs> of it. You're going to talk me up. Yeah. yeah, I was. I This was I mean, and I have a lot of good feelings about this movie in general because insidious chapter two came out in September, 2013. It was not the first movie I reviewed for the AV club, but it was the second one. And it was the first one that like anyone else would have seen. The first one I reviewed was like a very small indie where they like sent me a DVD. What was it? Do you remember? It was called Sparrow's dance. What um, the fuck I, are you talking about? It's, it's like a two hand. It's like very much a play on film type of thing. Although it is pretty good. Uh, that I wrote, oh, Marin you know, Ireland. Called. Yeah, she'd love her, and she it's really a good showcase for her. It's really just a two-character, you know, sort of play-like comedy drama relationship thing. But then the first one I went to see, like, there was, like, a mainstream release was Insidious Chapter 2. And I think it might be that they weren't screening it in Chicago. I don't, I didn't go to the screening here either. I think I just rolled out to the Williamsburg Cinemas the, for the night before preview. Uh, but I think there were, there were screenings that I missed. I don't know. Whatever it was. It was the second thing, I second review I did for the AV Club film section. Uh, so I felt like, you know, I was very excited to see this movie for the AV Club. This was like a very like, it's really happening moment. Because like Sparrow's Dance, I was like, sure, they they needed someone to review this indie that they might have just not reviewed. But this movie, I was like, this is the big movie this weekend. like, And I'm reviewing it for some reason. Um, so I had a lot of affection for that. Like, I kind of remember that maybe more than the movie itself. Um, and I remember them. I'm like, I wrote it. I looked up my review naturally. And I said that I found it kind of disjointed. And uh, that remained to be the case when I when I revisited it. I was hoping that having seen several this more young chaps it, still got it. You yeah, yeah. It. I was like, I was like, I, you nailed it, Hassinger. You got it right. No, I mean, yeah. there were a few things I didn't I didn't necessarily agree with myself anymore about in terms of like I had I was kind of leaning heavily because Conjuring had just come out when this movie came out. This was a two one year for <laughs> for uh, horror movies. Conjuring came out and was a big smash in the summer and I saw that and really enjoyed it so I was sort of leaning a little too heavily at the time on well now that the Conjuring is out this kind of feels low rent and that was definitely my feeling at the time but that sentiment is something where watching the, the old one the first one again I was like no I, I kind of like this just as much as the Conjuring maybe more and it doesn't have doesn't have like the religious stuff as we talked about last last time we talked about in Insidious. So I kind of went into chapter two thinking, well, I was comparing it to the Conjuring so directly, and now that's not really an issue as much for me. So I bet I'll like it more. 
And then I still kind of felt like uh, it doesn't really get there for me. I think there's a lot of good stuff in it, and I and I don't like dislike it strongly. One but thing I, we can agree on: the gender politics are unproblematic and perfect. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's nothing, uh, nothing unsavory about any of how how this movie treats any aspect of gender. Correct. Yeah, I mean that's also very telling about how much this was in the the you know the conversation at the time that i don't mention i read <laughs> was reading my review i don't mention that at, at, at all in my review i don't know because i thought it was gonna be a spoiler i don't think we or, talked about gender in the way we do in no no I, th- do I, think I was just like, like <laughs> i mean well well there's also reason to ignore it in that this movie if it's doing anything it is like ripping from iconic horror movies such oh. as psycho yes. <laughs> such as the shining such yes. as the exorcist such as the amityville horror it is just, it is so homage based that like yes. I'm stunned I said anything about it other than that in the past. Yes. Well, I, I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna uh, <laughs> read some stuff from my review that I feel like still I still agree with. Juan Please. still moves his camera and composes his shots with a patience that belies his dank saw origins. I like that I had to dig dank. In dank. They, they wanted you want. I, I guarantee you you had a line about the fan and then they yeah. cut it. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I wish I did. I somehow I overlooked it because there weren't any in this one. But the cinematography isn't as virtuosic this time around. Big word, Jesse. Virtuosic. Or maybe there's just a limit on how many unbroken shots traveling down a dark hallway can summon the requisite dread. The movie also undermines its own technical grace with ugly words. Characters in one L way Juan screenplays speak with the first draft expository bluntness of a cheap fifties thriller, letting the characters step on some of the best reveals. I actually, that's something I disagree with now. I kind of like their hamminess, you know, the kind of hamminess and kind of like, this is a B movie from the fifties kind of feel that kind of fun house feel that doesn't really bother me today. And we also Uh, love the crying wailing strings. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No complaints about that. Uh, and I think this is the final paragraph of the review. While the climactic scenes set within the further were a weak spot of the original, disagree now, <laughs> the complicated <laughs> mechanics of this netherworld and how it threads into our world provide some of the sequel's cleverest elaborations. Chapter two's further is a tricky melange of memory, dreams, ghosts, and time travel, almost like something out of Terry Gillum or Charlie Kaufman, though Juan and Winnell never push it that far. They could have distinguished their sequel by going crazier. Instead, the movie's best and weirdest moments are overpowered by respectability. That's a weird thing to say also because this movie is like pretty, you know, happy to be a B-horror B movie. Yeah, so but I, think, that I think you're right about it flirting with really crazy shit that yeah. it doesn't do enough with in the third act. Like the reveal, we'll get to it, I'm sure, but like the reveal that like the certain elements of Insidious 1 are now seen in a different light in yes, Insidious yes. 2. That's that neat. shit That's is all neat. awesome. Yeah. And like, it, but like... Th- then you cut i think you're left with after this movie going well that's just kind of like a parlor trick of a thing rather than like a really well thought out plot development where i think if it could have been a plot development if they were more confident or something like what what is keeping it from being the movie that it could be i don't know i think i think we're getting in the weeds a little early but it's fine (laughs) well i think what struck me about it this at this time and almost i didn't even remember this to this degree um was that to me it kind of felt like insidious it's not that they painted themselves into a corner in the first one but it's one of those things where you think oh yeah there's a they're leaving the door open for a sequel and then you get to the sequel and you're like well there are fewer things that you can do 
with where they left it than they probably thought and certainly than I thought watching it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they actually are kind of backed into a corner because they've killed Elise at the end of the first movie. Boy, does this movie feel like they know it's a mistake that they yes. killed Elise. They're just constantly <laughs> yes. referring to Elise. They put her voice in a young, in young Elise. Or, yes. Yeah. And <laughs> Yeah, and they do. They have some fun with how to how. Okay, so how do we get this character back in the movie? Because we like the character, and she's kind of key to the past of the characters that we're going to explore. And they do a respectable job of that. But it kind of immediately leaves you scrambling. And then even beyond that, I think maybe even more so than that. Patrick, like, so the end of the first one is like, oh shit, Patrick Wilson brought something back with him, and like he's yeah, his his son's free and clear, but he isn't. And then that makes the setup to this one. So he's come back, and it clearly is really fucked up. We and know Rose, and, the and audience. Rose, we, right, the right. audience, know that he is not Patrick Wilson. He is a ghost. Yes. But the movie spends an hour before it tells the, the characters in the movie that. I feel yes. Like. And it's yeah. confusing. It's very confusing to me to have Rose Byrne, who came back for this movie and is a very good actress and probably, you know, at this point was starting to do into her, go into her comedy career and doesn't have to do this movie. And they bring her back to, like, have this weird part where she's just like spending a lot of the movie going, uh, I don't know, something's not quite right here. But for some reason, even though I've just gone in through the, like the hell of a lifetime, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I'm not going to approach yeah. the subject. <laughs> like, Yeah, my husband's character... back. What more do you want? I mean, yeah, you could also yeah. mine that yes, for better, like, even in the face of, you know, it's not right. The We want it to be right so badly. Yes. Yeah, I that, wish, it, yeah, exactly. That's such a good point. You, I, I wish they had dug into that feeling more, but instead it just kind of feels like she forgot what happened in, in the previous movie. <laughs> <laughs> she was just like, huh, that's odd. But I, I have it's no also reason funny to- how maybe it's just because we're pr- unprivy to what came before it, but it's hilarious to me how easily Patrick Wilson's mom buys into all the insane shit Elise is telling her in, yeah. in the in the opening scene. She's like, yeah. well, this is all happening. There's a parasite. It's a malignant presence. It wants to be your son. And yeah. she's like, what can I do? What I'm yeah. in. Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's fucking do it. And then the other thing that I think made it more diffuse, and again, it's not even something I really harped on in my previous review, although I did mention it, was that they kind of divide the cast, right? So they have like the domestic stuff with like something's not quite right with Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne is starting to suspect that oh, maybe yeah. she's still in a horror movie. And then they have Barbara Hershey uh, investigating the past sort of, with, you know, with like with the, Elise's with the... old friend and, and the two ghost hunter guys. Yes. And that half of it is, I think, the cooler stuff. But also some good scare sequences in there. Yes, for sure. Like, yes. really yeah. good, creepy stuff. But like, it's unfair. I mean, nothing against Barbara Hershey, but like you're taking Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne, the kind of marquee actors and, and putting them in one half and then being like, um, you're, the, it's like it's an uneven picking of teams in gym class where you're like, all right, we got Rose Byrne and Patrick Wilson. Who do you guys want? And I got the other half of the movie's like, uh, I guess the, specs. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll have them. We they're like, I, you you picture the other team going, well, we'll take Lynn Shea, and they're like, well, no, not not so fast. She's dead, <laughs> you know. So like, it just kind of hobbles that part of the movie that you're watching these like kind of second tier actors and characters, especially the like that we introduce another friend from his past. <laughs> like, it just is not elegant, you know. It's like it's yeah. done as if someone was like, oh, you want a sequel to this? Ah, shit, and you want it ready in six months? Okay. We'll get to work. And like, well, they were caught in know. the corner because Insidious ends with that title card that says Patrick Wilson will return as Josh. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So and like again, to. it just does feel like it, considering how quickly they made it and like and how well horror movies do in general and how often it's, they spawn sequels, it feels yeah. like they were caught flat-footed somehow about this movie. Well, 
being it, a second thing. You can find some rumors online that like the story behind this is Juan saw what happened to the Saw franchise after he like, you know, said he didn't want to do sequels to it or whatever uh-huh. and walked away and was like, it, they're going to do Insidious 2 and I should, you know, with or without me and I'm going to get it done really quick before I go do what was next? Conjuring? Con- yeah, yeah, Conjuring. Like, I think he squeezed it in before he did Conjuring. Uh-huh. And like, that timing and like with what you're saying it being rushed all would make sense of like him just being like yeah i'll do another one but only because i don't want them to fuck it up and it does seem like it's just kind of like a silly fun movie that he's like literally opens with an exorcist reference i would say with that opening scene yeah and then like just the opening shot illusion even and then just like uh the main premise ends up being about a cross-dressing person who tries to castrate themselves who <laughs> yes. is you ultimately realize is just doing psycho Norman Bates stuff and then there's all this stuff within the end with possessed Patrick Wilson essentially as Jack Torrance in The Shining yes. and like it's all so blatant that like I'm not mad at this movie I'm definitely <laughs> just like yeah this is illusion this is homage I'm having a good time but yeah it ultimately doesn't amount to much I'm like this yeah. is a fun movie with characters i enjoyed from the previous one but it definitely like sequels are supposed to be what bigger and better and like it definitely doesn't feel that and like maybe there's some there's something fun about that like it's just like yeah it's like horror movie soup of just like all these different movies you like uh we're referencing those while telling our story and setting up some fun scare sequences so like i don't begrudge it it's definitely more it's like a gentleman's three you know i like enjoy it (laughs) yes but i don't love it I definitely liked it more than I did the first time I saw it when I didn't know what to make of it, I don't think. But um, a few things. What did I want to mention? Uh, there's something so interesting about that retcon that happens in the third. We can, I guess we can wait till we get there. I don't know how we want to set up the, the, the plot and stuff. But, like, what is the plot? I mean, it's, there isn't one. It's, yeah, well, it's jo- Josh comes back and something is amiss. And we see like, flashbacks to his childhood where yes. he, he was seeing things and then they chose to suppress it they were like you don't want to know these things and if we suppress it the thing can't get out was the thinking right yes um and and they uh um barbara hershey josh's mom uh like tried to get the guy with the dice i do know that's a very silly conceit guy oh the dice (laughs) is so silly and so funny i love that like it the, the way that the camera zooms in dramatically it's like only some of the letters are correct. And like, it could, it's just funny that like, it's just never as clean as I wanted it to be with the dice. It's always like, yeah, there's like an N and an O, but there's also like an X and an E and an R. And like, yeah. how do you know that it's what it's saying? <laughs> right, it's like right. it's taking a big leap with your choosing yeah, to believe that that is the word it's saying. It, yeah. it, it, but it's silly. It's fun. It is. It's, it's silly and fun. So they're kind of, they're doing this little paranormal investigation of the old hospital and all that. While, while the kind of, kind of mounting dread at the, uh, at the, Patrick Wilson Rose Byrne home. Yeah, he um, starts to exhibit what I, the if there's Amityville references. I mean, of course, the sh- trying to kill your family slowly, slowly going crazy is also The Shining. But like specifically, killing your family uh, is very Amityville to me. I feel like it's definitely doing that. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's something about what what does she say? The uh, evoked Hellraiser with this. I thought where it's like yes. your dead soul is killing the living skin of this man. So you yes. must kill 
to stay in the body. Yes. And that shit's all really cool, but I feel like the movie doesn't do very much with that. Like, it's no, all the, about it the dead a, people that he killed in the past. None, there's no new ones, really. Yeah, there's not a lot. There's not, it's just, like you said, it doesn't really go as crazy as you would think, like, considering how many of these influences it's pulling together. It kind of pulls together more, in, it kind of goes as, goes quantity over quality. I don't know, I don't even mean quality, like, in terms of, like, committing to some kind of restrained homage to yeah. the exorcist or, or, or hellraiser or amadeville or, or anything else uh it's just more that it doesn't you it doesn't like really stir all those things into one crazy stew of like horror references it more just kind of like keeps accumulating them which is fun i mean john juan is a good enough director that even like a second tier one of his it's like well this is pretty you know oh, this is man. pretty effective that scare sequence with the tin can in the uh -huh. closet. Yeah. So scary. It it's is so scary. scary. Oh my God. And it's, I love that. It's like he, I love to see him kind of explore these different minimalist situations. Like in saw the minimalist situation was very like two guys in a room and there's like a rusty saw and you might, you know, he doesn't want us yeah. to saw the handcuffs. He wants to saw off the leg, you know, and there's like different kind of minimalism in insidious that he uh, is, you know, use just dressing redressing the house set to be like the further with its smoke and mirrors and yeah. you know gimcrack stuff love that and the conjuring even like a lot of the dread of that movie is how the camera's moving not really anything that much that's happening in the frame and then insidious 2 yeah he just doesn't like it's almost like almost a goof on how little you're able to uh, use to get a pretty decent scare he literally ties a string to a can and then yeah. like it slackens and then is like less slack and there's a voice that comes out of it. It's like, that's such simple shit. And he, he does a really nice job, like actually milking it and like really like, you know, making it something frightening and, and memorable, which is, so it does kind of feel like it's him trying out a bunch of those ideas without really necessarily coalescing them yeah. into like a, a singular vision. <laughs> and I'm going to throw out another one. I kept thinking of the matrix watching yeah. this movie. Sure, what is sure. the further, if not like <laughs> this horror version of the matrix? Yeah. And this one has, again, I think they don't do enough with the, I keep alluding to, the Insidious One retcon, which essentially is, there are moments in Insidious where someone's banging on the door or something. And in this, it's revealed that it's Patrick Wilson in the future? Yes. The past? Or yes. The both. The future. Yes. Both. It's both. <laughs> That's the thing. This movie has Patrick Wilson basically, like, Christmas caroling yes. his, his child self. And like it just instantly is like okay, new rules for the further for the further. He can transcend time, and <laughs> you know visit the whoever the fuck he wants to. Yes. And uh, he visits his childhood self. He visits his self from like a couple of weeks ago, and that is yeah. neat. It's especially neat because it takes advantage of, of of something where in the first Insidious it really works perfectly. You think about it, and then you go, oh right, because it's a horror movie. They never said. The person rattle, the, you know, the force rattling on the door and trying to open the door is this because, like, in a haunted house, you're not, you don't need to attribute every rattle, you know. Like the whole idea is that it, you, when you figure out what the ghosts kind of situation is, that's that's what it is, you know. It's you don't need to go back and explain this particular ghost was rattling the door, and they use that that kind of opening, which I'm sure was not planned at all, to go back and say, actually, you know what, this thing that was unaccounted for wasn't one of, wasn't just like the kind of generic ghostly forces that we unveil later in the movie. It was this other thing. That's really fun. Very Back to the Future Part 2 kind of stuff. Um, that, yeah, I just thought that, that like, very clever 
reveal, even though it doesn't necessarily. I don't. I forget. I'm. Be, I'll be curious to find because I haven't seen these other ones in so long. Whether well, the time traveling properties of the further are maintained <laughs> at all. Well, my mem. What, what's most interesting about this movie is that it's kind of the end of the Lamberts, isn't it? Right. I feel right. like I, yeah, they're not in the the next one is takes place before, and I feel like the one after that might take place after the third, but before. I think there's a happen. reference to them in it, but I yeah, feel like they're yeah. definitely not in. Or like there might. I think she might show up for a cameo in it or something, but like. It's not until this new one coming out that appear that is like coming back around to this timeline that we're yeah. on in Insidious Chapter Two. So it is a consequential film for our actually, rewatch. It actually yeah. kind of made me the, seeing this and then seeing the trailer for for Red Door for the first time because we, when we were at the movie, oh yeah, so we were I seeing the during machine. the machine and I had yeah. to close my eyes because I don't watch yeah. the, the, these type of things. Yeah, for research, I I, I lit, remained open to it and it kind of made me nervous because I was like, oh this kind of feels like it's some of the same thing where you're like, okay, but like, don't you guys know that this is happening because it happened before <laughs> now twice? Well, I mean, but yeah, we haven't lingered on the fact that this movie spends so much time with people not knowing Patrick Wilson is crazy when we know from the opening second, which is a yes. problem. I think yes. it's a problem. Yeah. And they don't really do a great job of making it ambiguous. Like, I mean, it, I guess it, I think it's supposed to play kind of ambiguous because you don't really know exactly like, is he literally possessed? His body is literally possessed by this ghost, but he does a decent enough job that you, I guess maybe you're, it's supposed to play ambiguous or maybe it just kind of feels like it almost is supposed to play better for someone who hasn't seen the first one, which is an insane thing to do for a sequel. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. That's weird. Uh, like I was like, if you hadn't seen the first one, you really would not know exactly what was going on with him. And you would be, it would be ambiguous as to whether he is sharing his body or completely displaced from his body or, not or you know or or if it's a red herring but having seen the first movie i'm like no i think they explained what is happening so it's weird to treat the movie see the movie treat it kind of ambiguously and that doesn't seem to be exactly the case in red door but i was watching red door going like uh like i don't know shouldn't it's it seemed like it was even more like on the tip of oh this bad stuff happened and then we repressed it and it's like okay but like that already <laughs> that was already covered in the previous film even the fact that they repress it is covered in these movies so i don't think that i don't know I'm, that may be a little bit like a little worried about the idea of revisiting these characters in the in the new movie um i yeah. hope that, i mean i hope well, you it's know what anything like to Patrick rescue Wilson. rose Byrne from apple tv prison like, <laughs> she's just making apple tv shows now which is yes so i mean she's made one with seth rogan which i assume is like at least funny she's like yeah i do want to watch that actually but like apple tv barely exists to me like it yeah, really no. it's got a feature film as rose yeah uh, yeah <laughs> Did you catch the, this is kind of apropos of nothing, but I, I texted you at, right after I watched it because a famous oh. scream queen makes an appearance in a bit part at the very end of this movie. I wasn't, I forgot by the time I was watching it. So I wasn't paying attention. No, who shows up? Uh, okay. So, you know, the last scene of the movie, this is not that much of a spoiler because it's really just like onto the next case. You know, the, the specs and Tucker show up at the family whose daughter, Allison is in an unexplained coma, like the one guy, the kid in the first movie. Oh yeah. I think this person ends up being the lead in the next one. Right. Or like the character. Oh, I yeah. see who it is. Um, go ahead. You can say it. I'll let yeah, you say the, it. The, <laughs> the younger sister of the girl in the coma, uh, can, can like has noticed the uh wait or is she and now i know it now i'm forgetting is it is is she the ghost no she's she just can she just has seen the the the, the girl's spirit is out of her body but the sister that that uh uh what's her face lynn shay meets is jenna ortega a young that's so funny little jenna ortega 
doing the dark stuff from the very beginning. <laughs> Scream <laughs> Queen she was Jenna like Ortega. 10. Yeah. Yeah. She's like oh this 10 year old girl in this. It's and I like she's only on screen for a second. And I was like, I think that's Jenna Ortega. I don't think I'm crazy. And I looked it up and it, it indeed was her. So it was nice. That is one of her earliest credits. Yes. She's in Iron Man 3 and Insidious Chapter 2 in the same year. And those are her earliest movies, at least. Unbelievable. Good eye. Great job, I, Jenna. Yeah. Uh, great job. So I, think, I like I really feel like she's like it's crazy that the majority of movies she's been in have been horror movies. <laughs> like we love like it. she's she's in a few other things, but like it really is still at this point, it's everything's been almost everything's been horror or adjacent, and that, that you do love to see that. I um, do love to see it. Yeah. So I'm, I mean, I I completely understand you having a good time with this movie and kind of saying, yeah, you know, it's fun. Like because I agree, it is it is fun. I just like. I feel like they really, it feels like a little sloppy. I kind of feel like the same thing happened with Conjuring 2, weirdly. Like, I feel like Conjuring 2 is a little diffuse. They kind of split up the stories and, like, the characters we know are sort of I remember it being, like, the big, story. big and long. Yes, it's like, kind of, yeah, this one at least isn't a sprawling feeling. But I really feel like Con- Conjuring 2, like, took these characters that you like from the first movie and they have, like, they're in half the movie. But they're, the other half of the movie, they're just kind of not there. <laughs> Until yeah. or maybe to the end, they come together um so i don't know maybe it's just one is just not the best at, that doesn't bode well for aquaman <laughs> part two yeah i mean it's just hard to it's it's hard to get behind the 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 mystery of insidious 2 because when when you get down to it and you realize it's just doing psycho it's not super satisfying to hear like he killed for his mother because she forced him to he wanted his childhood back that's why yeah. he went after your son like it's all just like okay it just it yeah it's hard to get excited about even though i'm also like cool psycho illusion that's yeah. fun but yeah. like there has to be more to an illusion than just like it being yeah. there psycho has a real fun. like has a real kind of primal power to it because you really get to know norman bates yeah and, and this like, we don't know anything a... about parker like no parker's yeah. just a gimmick killer who's kind of you're trying they're trying to shock you with and like of... i appreciate there's so many elements of the Parker backstory I think are cool. The fact that like, there's all these dead bodies in the further and stuff like that. And like, that's who these people are just yes, like, yes. kind of hanging in purgatory or whatever. Like there's so many cool things that I feel like they're just like window dressing here, which is, yes. it's weird. A lot of the yeah. coolest elements are window dressing, including the, the time travel of the further and the yes. retconning and all that stuff. Um, yeah. And you know, like, yeah. I think that's almost appropriate because he makes these haunted, these are the insidious movies are really like, you know, haunted house you know carnival kind of movies like they're not classy haunted house conjuring movies and I, so it makes sense of course there's going to be window dressing that's what you do to get people into the haunted house you say like come on come on you know it's kind of a carney barker thing of like it's gonna it's gonna give you a bunch of different horror movies in, in a kind of compact package so it's it's true in some sense to the vision of insidious it's just not in necessarily the most productive yeah, way <laughs> i enjoyed it not as good as the first one excited for the next one which i remember being quite good and it's uh, Lee Wannell's directorial debut. Nice. Uh, so we'll be back in two weeks for that, I think, because next week we'll do Boogeyman, which I'll let Jesse decide if it's worth the whole episode. <laughs> I, I mean, I, we could talk about it for the whole time. That's for sure. Um, I could see Jesse liking that movie, you guys. Oh, I could no. see it. I could see it. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I hope I, I like it. I'm excited. I want to. I, I always want to like a movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you will. But there's a. I mean, there's like a basic competence to it that like. I almost also want to be like, yeah, it's fine. Like, I, it's hard to get down on, but at the same yeah. time, it's so the it's a script versus like direction good, script bad. I think is the issue. I see. It You'll has. See. I I always didn't realize until I saw the trailer for the millionth time that it stars two different Star Wars TV people, which obviously huh. has my attention. Uh, Sophie Thatcher, who you probably mostly know from Yellow Jackets, 
is yeah the worst um, show on television yes I do know. <laughs> it's fine no it's uh, quite bad it is over <laughs> i am done i am not going back you're not because going back season for season three, three i am not going back i'll no be way. the correspondent for season three sophie thatcher uh, also is on the book of boba fett in a in a role that i love maybe just because i love her uh that that no one cares about but i think she's was like she playing novel. a young juliet lewis in that as well no you know what like i do love yellow jackets but i think i like think that i i think i'm so baffled by we're, i feel like this is a shorter episode so i can go off on something about yellow jackets Please, uh, the worst the- show on television <laughs> I'm just like Brett. You got to watch some more shows just so you don't, just so you realize how wrong that is to say. Okay. <laughs> no, don't. I'm just kidding. Don't watch. Yeah, I would never I recommend don't watching worry. shows. Um, uh, no, I, everyone talks about how great she and Julia Lewis are in tandem as that character, and I know that character goes through some shit, and like, so they can't be one to one. And I know I'm probably just getting hung up on like that they don't look that much alike, but I think their whole manner. Both, oh, it's both Sophie Thatcher yeah. and Juliet Lewis. And this is going back to the first season, which everybody loves. Even in the first season, I think if anything, Sophie Thatcher might actually be pitching it a little more towards Juliet Lewis. Oh, 100%. Of- She's doing the biggest, Ju- the, the most broad Juliet Lewis impression I've ever seen. It She's is doing hilarious like, and, to watch. I yeah. think she does like a nice job trying to like, you know, she like deepens her voice a little bit and tries. She's clearly trying to make it match a little more and, and inch towards that character being that character. But they are, to me, are almost hilariously wrong mismatch in terms of yeah. just like their man. Because Juliet Lewis is a very specific presence. Yeah. Part of it is that we know Juliet Lewis as a teenager because she was in movies when she was very young. So like, yeah. it's kind of silly. It, that's the problem I always have as I get older. It's like, well, no, I know what Juliet Lewis looked yeah, like when she I was saw 17. from Dust Till Dawn. I'm aware. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I saw Cape Fear. You know, like so. I know that this is not what she was like. Um, and people generally don't look as different between young and old as they do on, on shows where they, where they're played by different actors, of course, but there's just like a kind of Julia Lewis, I, 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 like has a, I like her as an actress, but she just has a very different vibe than those Sophie Thatcher. I don't mean to, this is going to sound really mean to Juliet, but Sophie Thatcher had, I think has kind of an intelligent vibe, <laughs> you know, ooh, like a thoughtful, ooh, like in, internal yeah, okay. kind of like, you know, she feels like she has like stillness in her and Juliet Lewis cannot stop moving. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's just like yeah. the type of, that's just a different performance style. I don't think it's bad. I love natural born killers. And I love, I think she's great in Cape fear. I think she's great in strange day. She's great in lots of stuff. I loved her in ma where she's like the nut, the cool mom, you know, who's just trying her best. Like, I really think yes. she's a good actress, but like she does not match Sophie Thatcher's energy at all. Like it's just a different, more kind of, out of control, scary energy than Sophie, yep. Sophie Thatcher. Well, that's that's one of several elements yeah, that make it one. that make it the worst show on television. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Sophie Thatcher is the I think one of the leads in Boogeyman, and she's on Boca Boba Fett plays plays a character called Drash, who I love and wish they would make an action figure of. And the little girl in Boogeyman is Little Princess Leia from Obi Wan Kenobi show. She's like huh. plays Leia as a ten year old. That's nothing but trivia, but it makes. If me you're a normal adult like me, you won't <laughs> notice any of that. <laughs> I had no idea. Yes. I, well, I did lean over to my mother at one point who I saw that movie with because she was in town uh-huh. and go, Yellow Jackets. And she did <laughs> a very she did a very loud Oh uh, you you like, knew she was going, Where have I seen her before? Yep, I could feel it. I could feel I it. I cannot wait. We're definitely this will have to hold for next week, but we're definitely going to get the Brett's mom's thoughts on the boogeyman corner. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll either second-hand it or we'll call her in first-hand. We'll see how nice, it goes. Nice. Um, for sure. It is the first movie, first new release horror movie I've seen with her <laughs> since the <laughs> podcast started. So we'll get her oh. in there. She. I don't want to be mean as a thing because like I walked out immediately. Was like I didn't like that at all. She goes, oh, I thought it was good. So oh, like, it's, oh, that's so yeah. nice to hear. I'm we'll excited. I'm excited that your mom typed yeah. me up for it. I'm excited now. <laughs> yeah. Well. 
it's it's funny because one of one of my things I might say next week is like if you've never seen a horror movie before, I could see why this would be scary and good. So <laughs> that's kind of where that falls, I think. Oh boy. Um, all right, we'll be back next week with Boogeyman. Uh, check out the Patreon for influencer, maybe or something else. Bye. <laughs> Just forgive me if I don't stay around to watch. I just can't cope with the freaky stuff. <laughs>